0: Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles Who are turning to God. Acts fifteen, nineteen. Now, if you're new, we like to have a memory verse as we go through a series. And so we would I would ask you to all stand, even if you don't know it yet, you can read it off the screen. If you know it, then don't read it off the screen. No one will know but you and God, so feel free to do what you would like. But let's say this memory verse together. Acts 15, 19. Say it with me out loud. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Acts fifteen. 19. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being here with us in our presence today. Lord, this week we are reminded of so much uh, brokenness, so many people who are hurting in Afghanistan. We think of our neighbors in Louisiana who are bracing for this hurricane. God, we ask for your protection over them. Lord, help us to see ways that we can help. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1996, I had returned from a year in South Korea, and as soon as my feet hit the dirt in America, I wanted to eat one thing, a hamburger. Sometimes there's just nothing like a good hamburger, right? So here's what I want to do. We've been back in Texas for six months, and I want to crowdsource here today. How about you? Where do you go when you just want a good hamburger. It might not be the best hamburger. You're going to go like, hey, there's this one place, you know, in Wyoming that I go. I don't care. I can't go there, you know, Thursday. I'm saying, where do you go around here when you just want a good hamburger? All right. I want you to take 10 seconds and ask the person beside you where they go to get a good hamburger. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hey, those of you who are online, thank you for being there. And if you wanna just go ahead and comment right now, pull out your phone, pull out your keyboard, let us know. I love to go back and look at the comments later in the day. We're gonna look at Acts 11 today if you wanna go ahead and get your Bibles as well. I am so glad that you are joining us virtually here today. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. Right over here in this section, let's just find out what, where you go for your go-to hamburger. This section right here, just shout it out. Where's your place? Did somebody say Olive Garden? Olive Garden? Oh, Olive Burger. Okay. I've seen that place. I've not been there. I heard a Whataburger. All right, right here, this section, where do you go? Where's your go-to place? The Whataburger people so far are the most confident? I heard something in the back. What did you say? Kenny's? Oh, come on now. There you go. All right, right here, go-to place for a good burger. All right, I'm going to ask you this. If you're a Whataburger person, just be humble and let the rest of us speak, okay? All right? We get it. They're good. I had one two days ago. How many of you are just going to say Whataburger? Just raise your hand, be represented. Okay, way to go. Good job. Now, anybody but a Whataburger, where do you go? Did you say crumb? Oh, grub. Okay. I've heard that's good. I haven't tried that. Good. How about right here? Where's the best burger place? Where's your go-to? All right. For those of you who don't know, let me explain the awkward man who was standing up back here. That is our founding pastor, Pastor George. And where does he want to go eat a burger? Of course. Which proves he's an amazing pastor, but he does not have good taste when it comes to him. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Now we did give you a couple hundred bucks for coffee for the rest of the year, but that's one week's of, of Big Macs, I guess, if you want to go that route, right? All right, anybody else right here? In and out. In and out. I love the tension in the room. All right, right here. Where do you go for a good burger? In and out. Where did you say? Snuffers. OK, there's a new place. I'm going to have to try snuffers. It doesn't sound good by the name. But that doesn't mean anything, right? As long as it's got good burgers. Park and Preston. All right, thank you. Right here. Where do you go? Where's your go-to burger place? In and out. Where did you say? In and out. Did I hear somebody say "CC's? Oh, J.C's. JC's. Very good. Well, hey, this is the way we find out some things. So now we've got a few new places to try out. And uh, yeah, I, I knew Waterburger would be popular. Now let's do, the, let's do the controversy that seems to be for high school students like my kids, I guess because we had moved, though we're from Texas, we had moved from California. The first question they're always asked is, do you prefer In-N-Out or Whataburger? I don't know why. That's like the thing. Like to me, they're two different worlds, but let's just do it right now. How many of you like In-N-Out? How many of you like Waterburger? wow no wonder they asked the question it is kind of split way to go we could just divide things right here right now have everybody sit on one side not really good we have grace no matter what burger we like right here's what's fascinating some of you weren't even born then but you may remember back in the late 70s 80s and 90s do you remember burger king which by the way i didn't hear anybody say burger king but maybe some of you would say they have the best burgers they are good They had a motto. Do you remember the slogan they had? It was four words. Do you remember what those four words were? Say it with me. Have it your way. Yeah, it was so landmark of a a slogan that it was back then, it was actually a novel idea to walk into a place and get it customized and it not take longer. And we were just like, mind blown that you could get it the way you wanted it. And the psychology of that marketing campaign was so strong that we've seen everybody who puts out a product owns that as their marketing slogan. Whether they state it or not, their goal is for the customer to have it your way. You see, the reality is we live our life now expecting everything To be the way I want it, right? Like very few of us any longer have cable where they tell us what channels to watch. No, we're going to go to YouTube and subscribe to the channels that we want to watch. They don't call it our tube or their tube, they call it YouTube because you get to have it your way. Everything is customizable today. Even we see the job market changing over the last decade or so where more and more people who are employees say, I want more flexible hours. I may want to work from home. I may want to go into an office, but I just want to have it my way. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's an increasing expectation. We have dreams. We want them our way. We have clothes. We want them our way. And what happens is our culture is promoting something. I don't know if you feel this or not. I know you do. That freedom is found in our individualism Freedom is found when you have it your way. It's better when you have it your way. And I'm gonna tell you, that's not all bad. However, there are some challenges to that line of thinking that I don't think we always look at. For example, when it comes to your dreams, have you ever considered what if having it your way and what if you achieve everything you shoot for and in the end it doesn't fulfill? What if there isn't a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow you're chasing? What if we're intended to live for something greater than ourselves? Have it your way can be good for a season, but let me tell you when it doesn't work, and if you've lived long, you've seen this happen. Have it your way doesn't work when the weight of suffering and pain shows up in your life. Have it your way collapses every time. Because have it your way encourages us to think of our uniqueness as being better than unity. And that's when it gets dangerous. Have it your way and the uniqueness is not greater than unity, but we increasingly value our way over everything else. And so it's been a tough week for a lot of us, I know. But I want us to look at a story in Scripture today that I hope brings you hope. At the end of the day today, I hope if nothing else, it is hope that you discover. Because we're going to see a better way than your way. In Acts chapter 11. Would you open your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, you can look at the end of the row. There's one there. You can go to the table of contents. Find the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 11 together today. Now, let me tell you the amazing thing. If you're wondering, now, what's Acts about again? The first 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, the birth of the church took place. It's why we're here today. And that story is recorded in the book of Acts. It's a dynamic story. It's an improbable story of the birth of the church. And against all odds, it began to grow. In fact, throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to see explosive growth. And if you consider that the church began in Jerusalem where Jesus died and rose from the dead. And then he said in Acts 1-8, go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Remember when he said that, Acts 1-8. So far, the church has pretty much been in Jerusalem. It's just now starting to go. But I want you to see this map. Because for the rest of Acts, this is where the church is about to go. You see that map? This is the Mediterranean map. This is essentially a map of the rest of the book of Acts. You see where it was in Jerusalem. It's just a bit, barely down the bottom right corner. You see where it is, where it says Palestine. You see Jerusalem and Caesarea, which we looked at last week. That's where the gospel has gone so far in the first 11 or 12 chapters of Acts. And the rest of that map is where it's about to go. Now, some of us, because, well, we're just proud of our state, we'd like to see it in context. So we're gonna put the state of Texas over that map so that you can have context, all right? (laughs) Some of you laugh and some of you are proud simultaneously. So you can see in context, it's a pretty big area we're talking about from where we've gone in the first 11 chapters there in Jerusalem, bottom right-hand corner, to where we're going to go by the end of the book of Acts. But here's what you got to know. The birth of the church is painful. Just like having a child, birthing a child is painful. In the early church, pain was undeniable, Pain was undeniable in the early church. So this is a pattern we're going to see throughout the book of Acts. And here's the framework for the chapter we're about to look at. These three words. We'll see persecution. And then we'll see a cyclical pattern move to triumph or victory. And then we'll see it move to expansion. Most of us want expansion. We we even like triumph, but we don't want the persecution, right? Right? But without the persecution, we won't get the expansion. We'll see that in a minute. But this is a cyclical pattern we'll see over and over in the book of Acts. Persecution, there's challenges, then there's triumph or victory, and then there's expansion or growth over and over again. I want you to be filled with hope today. What do you do when you have a desire for? Have it your way. But we come up against the realities of suffering in this life. And the weight of suffering collapses. Have it your way. Let's look at a better way. Acts chapter 11. Look with me at verse 19, and let's pick up the story. Last week, you may remember that we saw Cornelius, a Roman centurion, come to Christ because Peter had this crazy dream and goes to the Roman centurion. Well, he retells the dream in the first 18 verses of chapter 11, and then we pick up the story in verse 19. Once again, it's about persecution. It says, now those who had been, and I would underline these next four words, scattered by the persecution. Everyone who's being scattered by persecution thinks that's bad, just like I would. However... God seems to be using that because when they scatter, guess what they take with them? The gospel story, the good news. And in the end, though they didn't want to go beyond, Jesus said go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, but they stayed in Jerusalem. That's what they knew. That's where they were comfortable. All of a sudden, persecution comes and they go to other places. Though they saw it as bad, God accomplished good through it. He scattered them by the persecution. When did it begin? Well, it broke out. You remember at the end of chapter 7 when Stephen was killed. Remember, he was the first Christian martyr at the end of chapter 7. So, people are now traveling as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. We'll come back to that in a minute. Spreading the word only among the Jews. I just want to say this. If you're new to the church, if you're new to this gospel message, as we open the Bible, this is still something that's not terribly familiar to you. Can I just give you a warning? If you expect life to be problem-free, you will be disillusioned. And when you come to Jesus, if you expect life to suddenly become problem-free, you will be disillusioned. Because it's hard in this broken world to live no matter what. Now the difference is, we have a purpose We have an eternal presence of the Father, and we have each other to navigate when we come into the family of faith. But it is hard. And to expect it to be trouble-free, just like these early disciples, well, that would have been very troubling had that been their expectation. Now, look what it says. Some of them, in verse 20, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch. And you say, now, where's Antioch again? Antioch is about 300 miles away, really the distance to San Antonio from here. But it's to the north. And so if you look at this map, you'll actually see it's in modern-day Turkey. All the way to the north, you see it up the coastline from Jerusalem. It's a good long way. Now, all of a sudden, we're getting beyond Judea and Samaria for the first time. We're beginning to go to a further place full of Gentiles. Some people went there as part of the persecution. They're being scattered and they've gone all the way up now to Antioch and this becomes a significant place. Look what it says. And they began to speak to the Greeks. These are the non-Israelites, the non-Jewish people, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I love that. And Luke who wrote the book of Acts, this remember is a sequel to his original book of Luke, He is so excited about the crowd. He says, the Lord's hand was on them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. He's so excited. He sees what God's doing. He sees people being uh, transformed. And then news not only Is spreading there in Antioch it gets all the way back down to Jerusalem where the church began look what it says news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas one of the stars up to Antioch like Barnabas go tell them how to be Christ followers they probably need a mature veteran Christian who's been a Christian like you for like three or four or five years there's not many of those around right and so they're sending Barnabas up to Antioch. And look what it says in verse 23. When he arrived, and I would underline these next few words, he saw what the grace of God had done. He saw, he's heard about the grace of God, but now he sees, the, you ever been around somebody who's the grace of God just comes through them in such a way that you just feel feel it. You're drawn to them because the grace of God is flowing through them. You know people like that? This is what Barnabas is experiencing. And it literally says it makes him happy. It makes him glad. Look what it says. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. Guess what? Had he stayed in Jerusalem, he would have never seen the grace of God in them. And this is true. Sometimes we're in a season of our life Where we don't see God's activity in our own life. And when I don't see God's activity in my life, I can be encouraged by seeing God's activity in your life. This is why proximity is so important. It's not enough to hear about it, but to see it. It's why we've got to do life together, because sometimes it feels, he feels quiet, he feels distant. And I need to be around some of you, and I see what he's doing in your life, and I'm reminded that is my God doing that in your life. And I am just like Barnabas, I am glad, and I am encouraged. Now watch what it says. It goes on to say, if you're wondering who in the world is this Barnabas? Well, now we introduce him. It says in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And once again, Luke is so excited. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord because of Barnabas. Then watch what Barnabas does. He decides he's going to get more reinforcements and he goes to the one and only. Saul, who's been off the scene for a couple of chapters, you remember in chapter 9, he came to Christ. He was kind of like a terrorist for God. And now all of a sudden, he's become an evangelist for God because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember that story? It's been a couple of chapters. He's been quiet, but he has not been unfaithful. It says, then he went and got Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, what's going on? A lot of times when you think of Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, he's going to become really the prominent person in the rest of the book of Acts. It's easy to think of him as being some prominent guy who's just always been dynamic. Like, he's different than the rest of us, right? Like, after all, he's a terrorist, and then all of a sudden he has this dramatic lightning storm or whatever happens, and God, you know, Jesus himself appears, and it's very dramatic. And then the rest of the time we see his story, and it's just amazing how God seems to be using him and the power in his life. And it's easy to say, well, he's always been special. But most scholars believe between chapter 9 and chapter 11, he has been off in Tarsus for about 10 years, serving in an obscure place, hidden and unknown. And the truth is, it took about 10 years for Paul to become an overnight success. And in this moment, some of us who are here, we feel like we're kind of in that forgotten, hidden place of Tarsus. And no one knows. But often God is just preparing us for what he has planned. That there is a special intimacy with God in those hidden places. And all of a sudden Barnabas showed up and said, Saul, it's time. God has something bigger for you. And while we're waiting for the Barnabas to show up, we might be in that hidden place of intimacy with God. Preparing us for what's next. And look at the next verse. Verse uh, let's see, second uh, like part of verse 25, it says. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Luke is excited. And I want you to read this last sentence out loud with me. Would you just say that with me? The Christians... I'm sorry, I'll read it. I should have just had you read it so that way it could be accurate. Ready? Let's try it again. Ready? Say it with me out loud. The disciples... Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, we are called Christians, and this is the first time it ever happened where they had that label. I would underline the word Christian. I'd circle it. I'd put an asterisk beside it. It meant something to these people. All the way back in Antioch, it's the very first time, because up until now, they've been called people of the way or followers of Jesus. Why does this matter in this moment? Think about what's happening. People are coming from Jerusalem all the way to Israel, or all the way to to modern-day Turkey, there to Antioch. People are coming from Tarsus, may have more of a Roman influence, and they're coming all the way to Antioch. So now we have Greeks and Jews, we've got Gentiles, we've got uh, people from Israel, people from the Roman Empire. They're all gathering together, and up until now, their main flag may have been their nationality. Up until now, their main flag may have been their religion. Up until now, their main flag may have been their ethnicity or a particular issue, because they all saw issues differently back in the first century. There are all kinds of things that divided them. And for the first time, they decided that the main flag would be Christ. Here's why that's important, the word Christian. The root word is Christ. The I-A-N is taken from the original language to mean party of or affiliated with. In other words, all of these people 2,000 years ago say, from now on, all those things are lesser issues. From now on, the main thing is I am in the party of Christ. From now on, I am affiliated with Christ. From now on, my main identity is Christ. What a powerful thing to say. And you know what they said? Anything else that will divide us, we will make a lesser thing because we are united in Christ and Christ alone. And here's what I want to say. Here we are today, 2,000 years later, and everything's coming at us. Even the way we like hamburgers is different, right? And we're divided by silly things. We're divided by some important things, but we are united by the ultimate thing. Amen? And here's what I want to say. If there 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 is a media outlet that is causing you to be divided with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I just say this? Unplug the media outlet and make church your main thing and come together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Because there is nothing, there is nothing more important than the unity that we find in Jesus Christ. Because here's the warning that I was reminded of just this week. If I convince you to follow my politics but you miss heaven, I failed. If I convince you to follow my patriotism, but you miss heaven, I failed. Christ and Christ alone. He is who we follow. He is who we promote. And He is the one We don't waste time on lesser things when eternity is at stake, amen? It's all about Christ. And for the first time in history, at Antioch, they were called Christians. And that meant something to such a diverse group of people who saw life so completely differently. And all of a sudden, they came together. I'm telling you, when there is division in our culture, it is the opportunity for Christians to rise and go, yep, we see that all differently too, but guess what? Christ is the main thing, and we will be united under that flag. We are Christians above all. May that be our story here at LifePoint. Now, as they begin this journey as new Christians, look at chapter 12. We're going to keep moving along because I want you to see we're still in that season of persecution. It's difficult. Look at verse 1. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to, and I would underline this, persecute them. And now in verse 2, we have a very gruesome verse where it's the first martyr, a beheading of one of the original apostles, one of the original twelve, Judas has already died, but he was far from a martyr. This is the first martyr of the original 12. Look what it says. King Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now remember, it was in the inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers, remember, sons of Zebedee. They were fishermen. They were called to follow Jesus. And then Peter, James, and John became the inner three with Jesus amongst the 12. So Peter is very close to James. And Peter's life has just been taken I read a verse like that, and sometimes I think, that's what it took to get the gospel to me? There's been a lot of people who've paid the ultimate price so that we could sit here today and open the word, aren't there? And look at verse 3, it says, And when he, King Herod, he's kind of taking an approval poll, when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he then went on to arrest or seize Peter also, James' closest friend. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Let me just tell you what you already know. Life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. And some of you I know come into a place like this and you've got difficulty because of illness that you didn't expect to have in your family. Some of you come in, you've been an honest business person, but now all of a sudden your business is upside down. Some of you come in and and, and you're struggling because you've been a generous person, but all of a sudden relationships are upside down and you're trying to figure out how in the world you got to that place. Life is hard. And following Jesus, as we see with Peter, it is still hard. It is not easy. And if we expect there to be a problem-free life, we will always be disillusioned. And Peter finds himself in jail. Now, let me just say this. There's no Burger King commercial that would have been appealing to Peter in this moment to say, "Ah, Peter, just have it your way. Peter's like, I'm following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I am behind prison. What do you mean, have it my way? It does me no good here. See, Peter has found a better way. I want you to see the better way. Because watch how he responds to his dark moment. We're going to get a little more detail because after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. So 16 soldiers are guarding Peter. They really don't want him to break out. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Very similar to what was done with Jesus and probably have the same fate as Jesus or James. And watch Peter's response. So Peter was kept in prison, but... The church was earnestly praying to God for him. It turns out when they arrested Peter, Peter wasn't alone. There were some people back at a house we're going to see in a moment by the name, the owner's name is Mary. And they're gathered to pray for Peter. Peter knew when he was in that cell that you know what's better than having it my way? To have a group of people who are here with me in, in, in spirit and they're praying for me. I am not alone in this moment. There are some people I can count on right now in my darkest hour who are carrying this weight with me. And in this moment, he knew he was not alone. There were people praying for him. Let me just ask you a real personal question. Who can you count on when life gets really difficult when you experience suffering and pain in this world? And who can count on you when life gets really difficult and you experience pain and the suffering of this world? Oh, there's a better way than have it your way. And Peter is going to introduce us to it here. You see, one of my greatest fears is to realize that we are all one bad thing away from leaving our faith if we believe having it your way is the right way. Because when suffering and pain comes in this life, and it always does, it crushes have it your way. And we find ourselves so disillusioned and so alone. And we find ourselves in the prison cell and no one's in there with us. No one's praying our prayers with us then when we're in that place, we're one bad thing away from leaving our faith. You see, there's something powerful. When people come together and pray together, something supernatural is about to happen. It happens when people come together and pray together. Something supernatural will always happen. It's a powerful, wonderful thing, and we see it here. The church is earnestly praying on Peter's behalf. And now watch what happens. The night before, Herod was to bring him to trial, just like God to wait till the night before. Come on, like, have you ever noticed God is rarely early, but he's always on time? And here he is just the night before. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood at the entrance. He is securely locked in. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Wow, what a, what a way to be awoken. He says, quick, get up. And the change fell off of Peter's wrists. Okay, something's happening that's not supposed to happen, that there's no natural way to explain it. I'm telling you, when people get together to pray, supernatural things just happen. And later, it's Paul, who in Acts chapter 8 would write, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'll go anywhere with him And this is where Peter is. And something's going to happen. Watch as he begins to walk out of that jail in verse 9. Or verse, uh, yeah, verse uh, verse 9. It says, Peter followed the angel out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Don't you love that? The man who had enough faith to walk on water thinks he's having a weird dream. I love that. I love that about Peter. He's just a regular guy at times. And then look at the next verse. It says, they passed the first and second, or down to verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this dawned on him, he went home by himself. No, it doesn't say that, does it? When, he, when it dawned on him, he went out to just have a drink by himself. No, watch what he does. When it dawned on him, he went to his people that he knew had been carrying this weight of suffering with him, that he knew he could count on in his darkest hour. He went to the very people who had been earnestly praying for him. The moment he was released, he went straight to this house. And look what's going on there. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. He knew right where to go. He didn't have to tell him the address. He didn't plug it in his phone. He already knew. This is a place he's been many times. This was his group of people. And when he shows up, guess what they're doing? They're still praying. Many people are gathered to pray. Who are they praying for? Peter. They're in the middle of persecution, and they're saying, God, would you do a miracle? You see, here's the wonderful thing. One of the benefits of pushing past the inconvenience into community is that the power of your prayers are multiplied and you no longer have to experience the suffering alone. One of the benefits of pushing past the inconvenience of getting into community is the power of your prayers are multiplied and the people in your group no longer have to experience the suffering alone. Peter is there. And the next few verses I just find a little comical and they encourage me so much. I hope they do you too. Look at verse 13. It says, Peter goes to the house. He knows right where it is in the dead of night. You would imagine the stars and there's a fog in the air and he knows eventually they're going to be looking for him. The, the guards are going to wake up and know that he's gone. So he knocks at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, She was overjoyed, opened the door, and hugged his neck. No. She was overjoyed, and she ran back without opening the door and tells the group, Peter's here. They're like, hang on, we're praying for Peter's release. I know, Peter's here. Hey, Rhoda, we're praying for Peter. This is irreverent. You're breaking up a prayer here, don't you know? And he's like, well, he's he's outside. Now, I love this because there's something about their lack of faith in this moment that really encourages me. Because finally they stop praying and someone hears her say, Peter's here. And you would think they would respond and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Bring in Peter and let's praise our God who answered our prayer. We knew he would answer it. Watch how they respond. You're out of your mind. (laughs) Don't you love that? Isn't that the way you pray too? Now be honest, don't get on your high horse and leave me up here alone, right? You pray prayers to God, you don't think He's going to answer. They were praying prayers they had no belief God was actually going to answer. But they kept praying anyway. I love that. I love their lack of faith and yet their persistent faith. God, I have no idea. They got 16 soldiers. How in the world are you are ever going to let him out? We're dropping like flies here. I have no idea what the future looks like. But we're going to stay at it and we're going to keep praying. And then she keeps saying, I'm telling you, you can stop praying. No more persistent faith needed. He's at the door. And watch what they said. Then they said, when she kept insisting, well, it must be his angel. Their worry is, just like James, their worry is, Peter has died. They think, well, if an angel, if Peter's at the door, it means it's his ghost. It means an angel is there and Peter is gone. He has officially been executed. We knew it was this, you know, time frame when the trial was going to take place. Apparently Herod moved up the timeline and Peter is dead. Meanwhile, poor Peter, he's at the door knocking, right? Right? Like the battery on the doorbell is about to go dead. Look at the next verse, verse 16. By the way, here's where we transition in our cyclical pattern throughout the book of Acts. We go from persecution, we're about to experience triumph. And this is the pattern we'll see over and over. We're going from persecution to triumph. Look at verse 16, it says. But Peter kept on knocking. I love that. Knuckles bleeding, he's staying at it. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Can you imagine that? It's Peter. Poor Rhoda's in the corner going, "I told you <laughs> God set you free. How did it happen? He's like, "I'm telling you, I was there, change broke. Angel led me out. It, God did this. You guys were there for me. I knew I would come here, and I knew you'd be praying. Were you praying for me? Tears must well in their eyes and every one of them, we've been praying for you for the last few hours, Peter. Because I knew when I needed you most, I could count on you. And he shows up and those people are lifting Peter up in prayer. And Peter now stands before them because of their faith for him. You see, they didn't have a lot of faith, but they stayed at it. And it just reminds me that the power of my prayers is not dependent upon the size of my faith, but the size of my God. I just stay at it. I don't have to have all the faith. I just trust that, God, you're really, really big, and you you know more than I know, and I'm going to keep depending on you even when it doesn't make sense to me. And that's what they kept doing. They just kept staying at it. They kept staying at it, and they were joining Peter in prayer. Here's my question to you. Who is joining you in your prayers Whose prayers are you joining? Who are you praying on behalf of? You see... If it's true that we're only one bad thing away from leaving our faith, that all of us are in danger if we don't have a group of people whose house we go to, who gather and pray for us, who we spend time with, and we can share the pain and difficulties when we get there. They can share it with us when they get there, and we keep lifting each other up in prayer. That's a lot better way than have it your way. When we are gathered together to walk with each other, to bear the weight, I just want to say this. If you don't hear anything else, just hear this. The weight of suffering can only be carried in community. That's the apostle way. And as the early church, which no doubt had so much pain, begins to explode and grow, we will see this truth over and over again, that the weight of suffering can only be carried in community. That's why I love that we're starting these life groups on Sundays at 9 o'clock. It's just another place for you to find community. If you're not in one, there's a QR code that's on the screen. You can just click on it, and you can just click in some information. As Dennis said earlier, there's child care provided. I want you to find people who can pray for you in your need, who you can pray for them in their need, because we were designed to get through the difficulties of life together, never alone. We are unique, but we must be united in order to endure the difficulties of this life. So I hope if you haven't done it, you will get in a life group. And we'd love to see you next Sunday at 9 o'clock. Finally, the last two verses of this chapter. Verse 24, now we switch the cyclical pattern, moves forward from persecution to triumph. We see the answered prayer and the miraculous escape of Peter. And now we see the expansion. Look at verse 24. It says, But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned home from there, from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark, who will become a major player in the story as we move forward from here. For the rest of the book of Acts, the church is going to grow like crazy. It's going to go all over the Mediterranean region. And if that isn't the most bizarre thing you've ever seen, you think about the Roman Empire may have been the most powerful, influential, and ruthless empire of all. They genuinely wanted to destroy this Christian movement. And they had more than enough power to do so. These Christians were just a bunch of ragtag people with no influence and no power and no resources. And they kept persecuting them, and when they did, they would just scatter. Explain how in the world a bunch of nobodies can outmaneuver the superpower of the Roman Empire to now there are more than two billion Christians around the world who claim the same flag as Christians. Let me give you three things that happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts, and they're happening in our lifetime. Two. Number one, the Spirit was moving. Over and over you saw that even in the chapters we were reading that the, Lord, the, the Lord's hand was on them. They didn't do this on their own. They didn't break the chains. The Spirit was moving. Let me just say the Spirit that was alive then is alive today. The Spirit that was powerful then is powerful today. When the Spirit moves, revival is possible. The next thing, the enemy was opposing Uh, We see it all over the first century. There was so much opposition against the Christian movement and people of the way. Same enemy that was active then is active today, no doubt. Then number three, the weight of suffering by those Christians was carried in community. And as we move forward, if we want to live for something greater than ourselves, the spirit is moving. Our enemy will be opposing. We can count on life being hard. And we must be in community in order to experience the, the, the suffering uh, can withstand its weight only in community. Let me give you these closing questions. Number one. As you think about the book of Acts, and we see this repeating pattern of the challenge or the persecution, and then we see the triumph, and then we see the expansion. Which of those best describe your life right now? Because our life tends to go in a similar cycle. And then let me ask you this. How's your conversation with God going? What is God inviting you into in this season of your life? That's a good question to wrestle with him. Second question. As we think about the weight of suffering only being carried in community, are you in community? Or are you trying to do life alone and have it your way? Moving toward the isolation and avoiding the inconvenience of community. Who's joining you in your prayers and whose prayers are you offering on their behalf? Next week, It's a great chapter as we get to experience the very first missionary journey in all of history. Acts 13, as we continue the story. Now, let's all stand as we close today. I want us to say our verse together Acts 15, 19. Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Would you say this verse out loud with me? It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, Acts 15, 19. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. You could do this any way you want, and you choose to use us, to love us, to be patient with us, to show your grace, mercy, and forgiveness to us. Lord, you've given us a purpose that's so much bigger than us. And future generations are relying on us to share the gospel. May we recognize the difficulty of this life and may we embrace community to help us carry the weight of suffering. And may you get the glory for everything, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.